Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. If you've come for a real-life story of gruesome gore, listen on. If not, best turn off. Happy Halloween. A bright August morning dawned for the Russian defenders of the Ozovich Fortress, and all 900 of them found themselves in as sunny a mood as the weather promised to be. Twice already had the Germans tried to force them out with intense, sometimes week-long artillery bombardments, followed by swarms of infantry. But twice had the Russians beaten them back. Their commanders would be pleased with them. Maybe even the Tsar would hear. And best of all, surely it was soon time to be relieved and they could return home to see their families for a while. But just as they mused, a new German barrage suddenly opened up. The Russian men ran for cover, but were not overly concerned. They'd seen it all before and would cope with whatever the Germans could throw at them. As shells exploded everywhere, sending soil and shrapnel in all directions, a couple of spotters came to the side of Lieutenant Kotlinski to tell him about a strange cloud coming their way. Kotlinski chanced a quick look up, puzzled. Sure enough, there was a thick cloud blanketing the ground for a thousand yards either side, rising to about twelve feet high and coming straight for them. Kotlinski reasoned it must just be a new kind of smokescreen. The Germans had used them to hide advancing infantry before, and Kotlinski shouted at his men to be ready to repel an attack. But the spotters were right. This cloud was strange. It was yellow-green and seemed to writhe and twist in the wind, seeming almost desperate to reach them. Tentacles of smoke reached out from the main body as if seeking to snatch an unwary soul, even as the huge cloud moved slowly, inexorably towards them. Kotlinski could feel a sense of threat in his heart, unlike any before. But he couldn't figure out why. It was just a smokescreen, a new kind with an odd colour. But then he saw a bird suddenly fall screeching from the sky, hitting the ground hard and thrashing for a moment before going still. As he watched mouth agape, the grass around the bird turned black. In fact, every blade of grass the cloud touched was turning black. What flowers had escaped the wrath of German artillery were shriveling the leaves on trees turning instantly yellow and falling to the ground as quickly as the birds. And still, the smoke cloud continued to bear down on his men. Kotlinski couldn't believe his eyes. What was this hell turning everything to death? But just as he asked the question, realisation dawned. 
he'd heard rumours of entire French divisions fleeing the front lines in the west as a terrible gas overwhelmed them at a battle called Ypres just a few months earlier. He hadn't believed the stories, surely just German propaganda designed to scare. But now his eyes widened in sudden, panicked alarm. The smoke was just about on them, the tentacles already here. He took a breath to shout a warning, but was cut short by a fire filling his mouth and throat. And then the screaming began. I'm Andrew McKenzie, and this is the second Halloween special from the Bite Size Battles podcast. Welcome to the Attack of the Dead, the Battle of the Ozovich Fortress. The Germans had been frustrated by the Russians at Ozovich. They had hammered the fortress with massed artillery for weeks, assaulted it with thousands of men. But the defenders had so far managed to beat them back. But they also knew the Russians were poorly equipped, specifically that they had very few gas masks, and those they did have were next to useless. The German high command had seen just how effective a gas attack could be on an unprepared position at the Battle of Ypres in Belgium in 1915. It was so effective they hadn't been ready to take full advantage and had ended up gaining nothing. They wouldn't make the same mistake again. So they brought up huge quantities of bromine and chlorine gas, weaponized and ready to be released as soon as the wind blew in the right direction. Both bromine and chlorine are halogens, which means they react easily with metals and water, often to create salts. The salt you have on your dinner table, for example, is sodium chloride. Chlorine reacted with sodium. They react because they're unstable. Bromine has seven electrons, but it desperately wants eight. So when it comes into contact with, let's say, your eyes or skin, it literally shreds them by stealing their electrons. Weaponized chlorine, though, is like bromine's big brother. The human body as a whole is about 60% water, while the lungs are 83% water. And like I said, chlorine reacts with water. The Germans massed men and artillery waiting for the wind to change, and when it did, they released chlorine and bromine into its tailwind. A yellow-green soup gathered and began a slow slither towards the Russian lines in the gentle summer breeze. At the same time, they opened up a devastating barrage from siege guns and artillery, pounding and pummeling their enemy even as their final death approached. The Russians watched the green smoke come, blissfully unaware of what was about to hit them. Shells were bursting all around in catastrophic explosions, taking the heads and limbs from anyone too slow to get to cover. Even those in cover would be vaporised by a direct hit. But they were the lucky ones. 
Kotlinski had watched the smoke roll inevitably towards them. Inescapable. Unavoidable. Even as he'd realised the truth, it was too late. He knew as well as anyone that his men had no protection. The smoke finally slithered into their lines, into their bodies and into their souls. Kotlinski looked down his trench in front of the fort to see his men become shrouded in this menace as he tried to shout, but his breath caught in his throat. He heard terrifying shrieks of pain suddenly rise up from 900 men. In a cacophony of anguish and despair, even as his own world turned into a sea of agony. The bromine was ripping at his eyes and clawing at the insides of his nose, turning them to blood. His lips were melting in chlorine, his skin began to bubble and blister, peeling away in sheets. The chlorine sought water like a thirsty man in the desert, and it finds it everywhere on the human body. When it does, it reacts violently to create hydrochloric acid, which then dissolves everything it touches. Water in the skin turns to acid. Water in your eyes turns to acid. Water in your lips is now acid. Even the saliva in your own mouth is now acid. But worst of all was the lungs. Kotlinski's breathing had shuddered to a halt in the shock of searing pain. But eventually, his body automatically forced a breath. A deep, desperate, deadly breath. Chlorine swept into his lungs, filling every tube and tiny air sac. The water of his lungs reacted instantly, hydrochloric acid now suddenly bathing the delicate avioli and critical lining of the lungs themselves. Disintegration was instant, with water, acid and blood now flooding his vital airways. He and the rest of the 900 men fell to the ground, overwhelmed by pain and death. Some writhed and screamed, others desperately ran as their blood and skin dripped from them, adrenaline fueling their blind panic. But all of them slowly, inevitably, agonisingly, died. The Germans watched the gas cloud penetrate the Russian lines and keep on going. They heard the screams and listened until all finally went quiet. The commanders nodded to each other and whistles blew to sound the advance. 8,000 Germans left their trenches and walked slowly, almost nonchalantly, across no man's land. There was no need to worry. Everyone opposite them was dead. They cleared the barbed wire at a casual pace, sharing cigarettes, laughing, joking. They held their rifles with muzzles down as they approached. They could see machine gun positions empty and not one single head above the Russian trench line. No Russian guns had opened up. All was quiet. 
they began to make out corpses strewn everywhere, bloodied monstrosities that used to be men. The sight and smell checked many of the soldiers, but their officers ordered them on. They had to take the fort itself before the Russians sent reinforcements. The German infantrymen stepped over the bodies, having to pick their way through the morass. Most of the Russians had shit themselves in fear and death, the excrement mixing with the odour of blood to concoct a putrid stench. Just get past this line of gore and we can push on to the fort, most thought to themselves. But then, suddenly on a ridge up ahead, a single shape of a man rose jerkingly up from the ground. A grisly, gurgled groan left its mouth as it twisted its head first left, then down, and then straight ahead. At them. The Germans froze at the sight, unable to think clearly through the sudden terror in their souls. The thing was shaking, twitching, and it was just staring at them in silent menace. The only sound, the rasping breath, it heaved in and out. Half of its lips were torn away, revealing the teeth behind. Skin hung loose, and that which remained was burned and blistered. Its eyes were peeled back, and the ears and nose streamed blood and mucus. No one said a word. No one moved a muscle, transfixed as they were in horror. But suddenly more corpses jerked upright with it, quivering and shaking, snarling and moaning. The dead were rising and now they came for their revenge. The rotten corpses suddenly lurched forward with a dreadful screech, grabbing fallen rifles, bayonets attached. Panic and terror rippled through the German ranks as they scrambled backwards, turning and running with wild recklessness. One of them tripped as a corpse on the ground suddenly reached out, grabbing him and pulling him down into the mud and bloody filth. The German flailed and screamed in fear, but the corpse had an ungodly strength, pulling him into his embrace of death and using his teeth to bite the German's nose off. Shrieking in pain and blinded by his own blood, he felt a hot punch in his side, and then another and another as the corpse hacked a knife into him. Germans were running for their lives and souls from the risen dead, but many in their panic to escape did not make for the gaps in the barbed wire, and now, trapped, they turned to see the pursuing dead bear down on them with savage glee. The dead flung themselves at the Germans, many of whom were so terrified they were ripping their own skin to shreds, struggling to get through the uncut barbed wire. A hundred live corpses now lay about them with hellish savagery, bayonets plunging into bellies, knives stabbing over and over again, bloodied, ruined hands throttling and gouging, teeth biting off scrabbling fingers. 
Germans trying to grapple the dead found their hands could not grip the melting skin, and they watched aghast as the risen corpses coughed up chunks of lung, spitting them into German faces. Eventually others of the risen dead must have made their way to the great Russian artillery pieces and machine guns, because these too now joined the slaughter of the fleeing Germans. Thousands of men ran in a great rout, arms pumping the air, feet pounding the ground, but mowed down from behind regardless and dismembered by artillery. The dead had no fear and pursued them into positions the Germans had just taken. Trenches and dugouts were filled with frantic hand-to-hand slaughter between the living and the dead. Men fell under the relentless, frenzied attacks of corpses, and those that watched and got away could never get over the hell they had seen. Eventually the Germans outran their vengeful but weakening pursuers, making it back to their own lines and screaming about the death-inflicting dead. The Russian Kotlinsky had been one of the risen. He had passed out from the pain and shock, but then come to. Barely able to breathe and severely wounded from chemical burns and poisoning, he rallied his men of a hundred risen dead to take on an army of 8,000, with a series of bayonet charges. He saved the fort, but finally died of his wounds later that evening. It's not clear how many men of the hundred risen survived, but some certainly did. Still though, the vast majority of the 900 defenders of the Ozovich fortress died a slow, horrific death, along with 90,000 others from all sides during World War I. I'll leave you with some actual quotes of the horror of the first gas attacks at Ypres, in 1915. We knew there was something wrong. We went along the railway line to Ypres and there were people, civilians and soldiers, lying along the roadside in a terrible state. We heard them saying it was gas. We didn't know what the hell gas was. When we got to Ypres, we found a lot of Canadians lying there dead from gas the day before, poor devils and it was quite a horrible sight for us young men. I was only 20, so it was quite traumatic, and I've never forgotten, nor ever will forget it. Private W. Hay The French soldiers were naturally taken by surprise. Some got away in time, but many, alas, not understanding the new danger, were overcome by the fumes and died poisoned. Among those who escaped, nearly all cough and spit blood. The dead were turned black at once. The newspaper, the Daily Chronicle. Dusk was falling when from the German trenches in front of the French line rose that strange green cloud of death. The light northeasterly breeze wafted it towards them, and in a moment, Death had them by the throat. One cannot blame them that they broke and fled. In the gathering dark of that awful night, they fought with the terror, 
running blindly in the gas cloud and dropping with breasts heaving in agony and the slow poison of suffocation mantling their dark faces. Hundreds of them fell and died. Others lay helpless, froth upon their agonised lips and their racked bodies powerfully sick, with tearing nausea at short intervals. They too would die later, a slow and lingering death of agony unspeakable. Captain Hugh Pollard Good night.